0: five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off, We have a lift off. Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds.
1: This is what Isaiah, son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will strain to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. So that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. And he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord.
0: So when I was a kid, there was a period of time where I was confused about Advent, because No one explained what Advent was to me. Christmas is the big day. You know, as a kid, December 25, Christmas is the thing. Christmas is the big day. Why don't we call it Christmas season? Why do we have this thing called Advent? There's no Advent day. You know, we don't get presents on Advent's Eve and stuff. You know, it's like, why is it called Advent? And uh, so, okay, what is Advent season? Perhaps for many of us, it's, it's simply, yeah, we, we prepare for December 25. But that's, that's a small view of, of Advent. Today I would like to present to you um, a, a larger view, a, a bigger aspect of, of Advent, and it's, it's to see it as a timekeeping device that is baked right into our church calendar. We won't explain everything about Advent. Uh, today. Don't, don't worry. Uh, but today, we're going to take a look at Advent through the lens of, of time. You know, like, you know, Advent is like a metronome. It, it helps us keep track of time. And you might be thinking, how so? How so? Well, it's, it's a seasonal metronome that rhythmically brings past, present, and future together. We're reminded that that Jesus Christ was born, but also yet to come again. Jesus arrived. He will come again. He's also present in our hearts today. You know, Jesus arrived. He is yet to come. He is present today. And so there is this timely tension with the season of Advent. A clock tells you what, what time it is, right? Well, and Advent, Advent is like, like a clock that, that chimes past, present, and future all together. It, it's a chord. The Advent clock, so to speak, it, it teaches us that this Jesus who arrives is coming. He's here. If we're open to it, Advent can can teach us how to inhabit the time that we're given. It can inspire us to hope. It can give us visions of, of peace and goodwill to all humanity. And so today, and then this whole season of Advent, let us listen to the metronome of, of Advent. And as we do so today, as we embrace this timely tension of Advent, we have three main passages to look at today. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, then we'll bounce to Matthew 24, and then we'll wrap up with Romans chapter 13. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this beautiful church. I ask that you would tune all of our hearts together today this morning. Meet us in our imperfections. I ask that this sermon would bring hope to those who are hurting. I pray that this space today would also be training grounds for mighty warriors, that you would confront us, you would change us, you would equip us, but you would also send us out with your peace, your hope, your mission. In your name we pray, amen. So let's start 800 years before Jesus was born. Eight hundred some years before Jesus was born that's the equivalent of like us today looking back to the high medieval period, or like if we were studying Genghis Khan, he lived eight hundred some years ago, all right eight hundred years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Isaiah. he was a man with prophetic gifting, which means he he had a heart that was seeking after God's heart in a way where, you know, he, he was speaking the heart of God. He was in line with the heart of God, or at least he was more prone. He had this gifting to do that. He was God's mouthpiece, prophetic gifting. He had this vision concerning his country of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And what he does as a prophet is he writes down in prophetic poetry what he sees Now, for some context, the country is hurting, and the city isn't well, okay? Everything is, may I use the words, just wrecked and trashed, okay? It's not well. And so he has this this vision. The the vision that Isaiah, the son of Amos, sees, it, it is concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah starts, he says, in the last days... In the last days, okay? So this signals that this is a vision that is pointed forward in the future, some future era of time in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills. So in Jerusalem, uh, there's, there's other names there of these hills, Zion and Mount Moriah, but, you know, the Temple Mount... You know, that is where, where God's presence is, or, or at least it was, it was supposed to be there. And, and, and Jerusalem, you know, it's this Zion and Mount Moriah, geographically or, uh, you know, in terms of topography, it's not the highest mountain in the area. The Mount of Olives is significantly higher But spiritually, it is the tallest mountain. And so we see this vision of of Zion, uh, the mountain where the Lord's house is at. It's it's being raised up. It's being elevated. That signals, hey, this is important. This is an important mountain. It's a holy holy place. Isaiah says uh, next in his vision, he says, all nations will stream to it. The people of the world will be on the move. And like a, a, a river, they, they will flow to God's mountain house. Why? Because that's where God's presence is at. That's where God's presence is. And people want to hang out with God. They want to be with their creator. And many people will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction goes out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Let's go. Let's go hang out with God. Let's be in his presence. Let's let's learn directly from God himself. He's going to teach us how to do life. He's going to teach us in ways that it's, it's going to change us. It's going to change the way that we live. We're going to walk God's path. Walking the path is Hebrew code for lifestyle, for behavior. Let's learn the ways of God. Let's be righteous. Let's, let, let's be whole. Let's be well. God will settle disputes among the nations. He'll pro- provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears and their pruning knives. Nation will not take up sword against nation. And they will never again train for war. what's happening here in this vision you guys see it no more disputes swords and spears being turned into gardening tools no more wars this is a vision of peace a peaceable kingdom a city of peace he 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 sees shalom that's the hebrew expression shalom this ideal state of complete peace not just half peace three-quarters peace Holistic peace, ideal peace, shalom, the ideal state of complete peace. He sees this shalomic city. And in contrast to destruction and war and geopolitical arguments and turmoil and upheaval and injustice and sin infested streets and broken families and worship charades and just downright rebellion that's just all over the place, Isaiah sees this vision that goes well beyond just Judah and Jerusalem. He sees the nations of the world streaming to God, living in peace. I think we can relate to this. If you want to know where Judah was in this time, go back and read Isaiah chapter 1. It lets you know how messy things were. Jumping from Judah to us today, I mean, there's Ukraine and Russia and mass shootings and opioid addictions everywhere, a pornography epidemic and environmental degradation and there's genocides, starvation, sex trafficking, And it goes on and on and on. And sometimes we wonder, are we numb to this? Do we react? Do we go to our knees and cry out, Maranatha, Lord, come. When can we get here? When when can we get to this peaceable kingdom, right? Well, again, Isaiah says it's, it's in the last days the last days. Peace will come someday in the future. We don't know when, but what we do know is that restoration is promise. Restoration is promise, but it's not instant. And so the thing about prophetic poetry, prophetic imagination, prophetic imagery, and, and these symbols and stuff, is that while it does point to a far date in the future, prophetic Imagery can also serve as a type of archetype or an emblematic uh, vision that inspires us over and over and over again. Each generation can behold this vision, this symbolic city of peace. And by the way, it shows up again in Revelation 21. Someday we will all get there, and I'll give you all a high five when we do. This is a real city. It is in the future. But each generation, we behold this prophetic imagination we get to, to think about it. We get to uh, embrace it and crave it and pray for it. And so while we live in the tension of our city today, we envision God's city of tomorrow. And so we hold on to this, this promise that someday God will be fully here in, in a final way where, with no more sin, no more tears, no more crying Someday, all the nations will stream to God. And you know what? The church is a preliminary realization of this. The nations are streaming to God. If we get out of our American bubble, every day around the world, the gospel is proclaimed. Instruction is going out. The church is filled with people of the world, people of the nations. Somewhere around 24 billion Christians right now learning to walk God's path. I was just reading, like, the average Christian in this world most likely is from Nigeria, and they're a, a teenager female. There are Christians all over this planet. And in many areas, it is growing. We don't always see it here in the States, right? But the point is, the church is filled with the nations. A preliminary realization of this. That people are coming to God. People do crave God's heart. People do want to learn the ways of Jesus. God is here. God is working. And I'll say it again, restoration is promised, but it's not always instant. So as we reflect on Advent, and we think about the God who arrives to save and to restore, if we sit in that, I think we become many things, but we become a a congregation of hope. As we sit in this reality and this promise that our God is one who's not far off, he's not dead, he's not asleep, but he is the God who, who shows up, the God who arrives We let that shape us. We become a congregation of hope. We become eager. We become patient. Restoration is coming in the future. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus is with his disciples on the Mountain of Olives. And the disciples, they ask for a private lesson from Jesus. That's nice, right? Hey, Jesus, can you help us out here? And do you know what they were asking about? (laughs) They were asking about future events. You know, it's the one thing pastors don't want to preach on, but it's the number one thing most congregants want to learn about. (laughs) And the disciples are right there with it. Hey, Jesus, can you give us a hint can you give us some nuggets of, of uh, you know, future events? And so Jesus, he, he does disclose some things to them, and he gives them some things to watch out for. And you can read about that, Matthew 24, 25, right there in your Bibles, please do. But jumping to verse 36, Matthew 24, and this is about Jesus' uh, second coming. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows neither the angels of heaven nor the son except the father alone you see Jesus is arriving again in the future and for us the disciples us Jesus says okay there will be signs that will point out that yeah you can expect Jesus' return is is coming but here's the thing you're not going to know when in the future, it's going to happen. It's going to be in the last days. Heaven has a secret. There will be an hour when Jesus arrives again. A second advent, so to speak. And then jumping to verse 42. Therefore, Jesus says, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming, or sorry, therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is is coming, And so some of us, when we think about the future, um, the academic term is eschatology. We think about future events. Some of us might want to make charts and graphs and timelines. And we want to try to map out the future with accuracy. We want to read the paper. We want to know what's going on in the Middle East. We want to start to map things out. Jesus isn't being witty or complicated. He's very clear here. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know. We can pick up on some signs, but we don't know. Jesus says, but know this. This is what I want you to know, okay? I, but know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. So he paints this little picture of the homeowner who's awake. You guys awake? Alert, they're fit, they're ready to go. Maybe they got some home alone traps set up, ready to go. They got their dogs at the door. The thief will not be successful because this homeowner is ready to go. The break-in will be prevented. This is why you are also to be ready, Jesus says. This is why you're supposed to be ready. Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect expect second advent second christmas the second coming of jesus it's going to come at an hour we do not expect we don't know when jesus is arriving and guess what this stretches us to live in constant expectation it shapes our life to be ready to be vigilant to be prepared we don't know when jesus is arriving advent means arrival a time when someone or something arrives. Advent teaches us a posture of active waiting, expectation, anticipation. Again, it's a seasonal reminder in the church calendar, in, in our yearly calendar. It is a seasonal metronome, a seasonal reminder of this tension that the king is born, but yet to come again. Jesus is born, but yet to come and in this tension, be ready. Now, it's not a passive waiting. One author talks about there's different types of waiting. Okay? It's not like waiting for a pot to boil. Or it's not like hearing the ice cream truck three blocks away and you run to your curb and you just wait until that truck comes with the treat. Waiting for Jesus does not mean you put your life on pause. It doesn't mean you check out. Advent teaches us the opposite. It teaches us to be ready in the present. It offers us this alternative rhythm of what we can call hopeful trust with hope and expectation. We trust that the king is coming. He will establish his kingdom forever and ever. The king will return. And it's this hope, this future vision of the king's arrival that shapes how we live today in the present. It shapes our witness as a congregation. It shapes how we do missions. It it shapes how we reveal the heart of God to each other and to the world around us. The king is returning. May that shape our stories. May it shape how we teach, and take care of one another, how we spend our money, how much time we're on our phones or in front of the television, the king is coming back. So as an illustration here, when you know you're you're getting a, a special guest, I would imagine most of us, probably all of us, will do a little bit of cleaning up you're having a special guest coming, coming to your house, that will change and shape how you live. You'll clean up at least a little bit. You'll, you'll straighten the couch and the pillows. Hey, are there clean sheets on the bed? Fresh towels. Is the bathroom stocked with toilet paper? Very important. Right? Do we have food in the house? Do they have allergies? What's the plan if it's a rainy day? If it's a beautiful day, if you have a special guest coming to your house, most likely that that changes and, and shapes a little bit how you you live. And so, in this illustration, what you're doing is you're making your little piece of the world good and beautiful for the preparation of your special guest. Therefore, church, since our King is coming back, as Christians we start with ourselves that's not to say that's not to be individualistic or selfish no not not at all we start with start with yourself invest in yourself invest in your marriage your family invest in your church but then we can also create culture for the sake of others with the king in our heart we engage in the arts Some of you are going to see a sight and sound film, cinema, Christian education, Christian teaching, Christian stories in the theater. With the king in our heart, we can engage in cinema, arts, commerce, business, right? We can build better schools. We can build better hospitals. Better housing facilities. We, we can advocate for wholesome politics. Why? Because all of these things are previews of forthcoming peace. Okay? Isaiah's vision of this city of peace wasn't just for giggles. Okay? And so we sing this time of year, let every heart prepare him room with the impending arrival of the king. With the tools that we have, With the time that we have, with the resources that we have in our generation, in our context, our congregation is called to be ready. We're called to be active, to embody Jesus. We are an invitation of truth and grace to our city. James K.A. Smith, a theologian, author, speaker, He's echoing uh, the old uh, church father, Augustine. So he is echoing that Augustine guy who lived a long time ago. But he says this, James K.A. Smith says, We participate and collaborate in the mix of things, the contested but good space of our life in common. And we do so in ways that hope to bend, if ever so slightly, the earthly city. Towards the city of God. The Advent season once again it teaches us to prepare. It teaches us to be ready, to be vigilant, to be be people of past and future, and ready in the present. I want to go to Romans 13 next, but first I want to circle back to Isaiah one more time. Isaiah's name, his, his name means Yahweh is salvation, which is very fitting. Isaiah saw this vision of the nations streaming to God's presence. The gospel is ringing out. It's such a beautiful vision of peace, a beautiful vision of God's presence. And when we put forward a good story, good news that is way bigger than, you know, ourselves, when we put this, this vision, this prophetic imagination before us, it's an invitation to turn an invitation to turn towards this peaceable kingdom. And another word for turn in Christian vocabulary is repentance. Isaiah's audience it wasn't just like, oh, thanks Isaiah, thanks for thanks for the poetry. No, that that's an invitation to turn back to God, to repent, come back to God and be ready be alive, be free. A beautiful vision of peace. And as we await that the arrival of this future city, Jesus says to us, he says, be ready and be watchful. And pray for that kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Now finally, uh, just to help bring some application, I'm going to borrow... Straight from the Apostle Paul here. In the letter to the Romans, the church in Rome, Paul is hammering out theology. He's, he's wrestling with what it means to be a society of, of Jesus followers. And just kind of picking up in the middle of things. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Since you know the time, It's already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Meaning we are further up the slope than when we first were saved, when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. Night almost over, day is near. Night means The the present age day is symbolic for Jesus' arrival. So, this Advent season, let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. This Advent season, let us walk with decency, as in the daytime, not carousing and, and... drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling or jealousy. But this Advent season, let's put on Jesus. This Advent season, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so, may the metronome of this season remind you to be awake. The light has come, or it's coming. Sunrise is coming. It's cresting over the hill. Are are we awake? Are we ready for the day? Are we ready for Jesus's arrival? Let's not squander opportunities. Let us not be lazy or asleep. But put on the armor of light. Walk well. Be dressed and ready to go. Put on Jesus every day. And so this Advent season, I encourage you to inhabit your time well. Inhabit your time well. And I hope you find time for prayer, hanging out with Jesus, worship, devotions. I hope you find and have meaningful experiences this holiday season. That perhaps you you don't just sing The carols and and the Christmas songs. Just because you know them by memory. But you go back and you sink deep into the words. Into the story. The stories that these carols. What they sing about. Read the prophecies in the Old Testament. The Emmanuel prophecies. Read the Nativity stories. Again and again. I hope this Advent season. I encourage you that you can inhabit your time well. And as a congregation, we wait and hope. We're vigilant. We are to be active. Always preparing. Always being ready. Always being faithful. The king is arriving. No ear may hear him coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Are you ready for Jesus?